Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. But listen, I'm telling you, other than knowing the gospel, getting your mind and your heart in alignment with the Word of God and how you think, it really what we're talking about is repentance. Sometimes people love to reach out to us and say, you know, you guys aren't preaching on the wrath of God enough and you need to preach more on repentance. And I'm like, I've been preaching on repentance for three months now. I mean, really, for what biblical repentance is, changing the way that you think, that's what it is getting your thoughts more in alignment with the Word of God, intentionally engaging the Word of God to get it in your heart so that it will bear fruit so that you will experience transformation. That is repentance. That's what it is. Repentance is not when you convince God how sorry you are and you have some emotional experience of thinking that that's maybe when He forgives you. Repentance is when you recognize, I am forgiven, and I've not been thinking in alignment and agreement with the word, and I need to change. That's biblical repentance. Amen. Amen. I'm going to catch you at the end because I think it'll be good. Is that all right? Oh. I think the question people may have is: Is remorse required to have true authentic faith? Is remorse required to have true authentic repentance? <clears throat> I mean, you know, you, you probably you 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 should not. Remorse is not guilt. Remorse is not shame. Remorse is, I don't want to live that way anymore. It's not regret. It's just a change of heart. So, yeah. Yes, when you know what remorse actually is. Um, what Lisa described is, is where we live. And oftentimes in church... We talk on kind of a lofty level. Even when we talk about matters of spiritual things, it's kind of intangibles, right? It's kind of ideals and concepts, and this is where we should be, and this is how we should be talking and thinking and doing and believing. But, but, but often we, it doesn't get down to where we actually live our lives, right? And, and, and what you think about, when you're walking up the stairs from your kitchen to your bedroom that may be killing you or bringing you life is about as bare bones down home as it gets. But that's where we live our lives, right? And that's where the battles are won. That's where the battles are lost. As you think in your heart, so are you. And when do you think in your heart? In those moments in between things. When you first wake up, when you first are, when you're laying down, going to sleep, you know, when your brain is slowing down, your brain goes into more of an alpha state. You're not so much in your conscious, conscious thinking. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have a hard time in silence trying to fall asleep? Don't raise your hand. And and maybe <laughs> he raised his foot. It's a generalization, and, I, and I, you know, I, there's nuance and there's you know, specifics, but oftentimes we don't want to think about what we're going to think about in those moments. 
all the shame, all the guilt, all the regret. Oh, I should have done that today. I didn't really do that. Or you think about something 20, 30 years ago, maybe the thing that passed along. You know, I've, I've known of people that after really kind of talking them through the process of where they're living and, and where they are at night, I mean, even so much so that this person laying down was so tense over a couple of specific things that their, their head would actually be off the pillow because they're so tense, like laying down, but just tensed up, thinking kind of uh, un under stress. And one of those things was emotionally ingrained within their heart beliefs were still waiting on their husband to come home who'd left them 25 years ago. And when I say waiting for the husband to come home, I mean not show back up as if, oh, I hope he comes in and we restore the marriage. I mean what it was like 25 years prior when you're laying there stressed out, wondering what life's going to be like when he gets home. Are we going to fight? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? And emotionally, you know, we, without getting too geeked out, but there's a thing called cellular memory and the way that our thought patterns are directly tied to the beliefs of your heart that if you have particular beliefs that you're holding on to down here, even though in your mind you're in a, you're in a different space, the deeper, heart, the deeper heart beliefs, the deeper senses of identity that you carry drive you. As you think in your heart, so are you. So we have our minds and we have our hearts. Our heart is that inner man, Scripture calls it. It's that part that gets renewed. God, through the lifeblood of Christ does a work within us when we're born again, and he removes that the body of the sins of flesh, as, as Colossians 2 calls it, and he puts his spirit in there, and he gives us a new heart. It's as if all the way down to the spiritual genetics, the, the deepest part of what defines you, that's what gets made new. And then the part of you that is spirit that connects with the rest of this world gets made new. You get a new one. You get, you get a new mechanism internally, the heart, that interacts with the Spirit of God and interacts with the rest of this world. And that's where you believe. That's where the beliefs of your heart, the beliefs about your identity, your beliefs about God, your beliefs about the world, how you respond to everything. You can be thinking one way, but believing another way. Oftentimes in our mind, we're in agreement with the Word of God, well, I see that he paid for my healing. I see that healing is in the atonement. I see that he's a provider. I see that I'm at peace with him. I see that Jesus was judged for all of my sin. I see that he's not angry with me because Jesus appeased his wrath. I see that he desires peace, but down here is not your reality. And, and oftentimes, you know, you, you can locate what you believe about a thing based on when you think about it how it feels down in here. Is there peace there or the conversation between the two? So we have a conscience, right? Conscience is conscience. It's basically dual knowledge. You have two different realms of knowledge. You have carnal knowledge, which is not necessarily evil, but it's just physical and always leads to death. And then there's spiritual knowledge. So we have these two realms of knowledge going on on the inside of us. Spiritual knowledge and physical knowledge or carnal knowledge. And there's a battle between those two inside of you to resolve which one are you actually going to believe. 
And it starts in your mind. You have to come into mental agreement with the truth. This is the Word of God. No matter what the Word of God says, I don't care if it's in my circumstances. I don't care what they said or he said. I don't care. This is what the Word of God says. This is what Jesus did. This is the truth. This is the eternal truth. And that's the battle to resolve in your heart to come into agreement so that everything in you is in alignment, moving you toward experiencing the truth. You'll know the truth, and the truth that you know will set you free. So this is where faith comes in. Faith comes by hearing, but that hearing that you do has to be by the Word of God. Truth, right? And so, so that's, that's the endeavor. And because God loves us, and He's constantly pouring out His love in our hearts, He's constantly affirming. You know, this is Romans 8. We went through a, a series a few months back, and we talked about the witness within, that that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, giving life to your physical body. And that spirit is bearing witness with your spirit. Like, just, just stop and think about that for just a moment. The Spirit of God, where is He? Who is He? When you think about God, what do you think about? How big is He? How limited is He? What can He do? What can He not do? Just who is God to you? That spirit in this moment is speaking to your spirit to affirm to you that you are his child. Every moment of every day, you can stop and pause and recalibrate your thinking and your awareness to know the spirit of God is affirming to me that I am his child in this moment. Now, whether you hear that or not, the issue is you can think it in your mind but does it settle down into here where you own that reality and there's no fighting against it? Does that make sense to you? Like, like how many of you, you just all of a sudden when we, I just did a short little moment and it's like, oh yeah, there's, there's the peace. How many of you kind of felt the shift inwardly? You just, you know, your awareness, a few of you. We did it super fast, but, and you're not looking for emotion. You're not looking for an experience as much as it is you're checking your heart to see Am I in agreement with this? Is this a truth that's actually established in my heart? And the way that you know if you actually believe the truth rather than you're just thinking the truth is that when you encounter the truth in your thoughts, in your higher level conscious thinking, are there excuses that come up of why it's not true for you? Or do you question God? Or do you rationalize away why it's not true. Are you with me? Stick with me now. We're talking about like what Lisa experienced. She knows that God promised that with long life, he would satisfy her. But in those moments in between, because of things that she's experienced, loss in other people's lives and in her life, uh, it, it makes an impact. It causes you to feel something. And, that, and that, this is where emotions can be damaging but helpful. If you can learn, and we talked in one of the messages in this series, you learn to control your emotions because your emotions are one of the paintbrushes that you're using or the, you know, we talked last week about writing on the tablet of your heart. Your emotions can be a tool that you're using to affirm the truth within. Or your emotions might be a deceptive, negative, or 
deceitful self-image that you're painting over the truth of who you actually are. See, because the truth is, inwardly, in your spirit, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are sanctified by the blood of Christ. So inwardly, who you really are, you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And your sin nature, that core, has been removed from you. And because you've been cleansed or sanctified properly with the lifeblood of Christ, you are holy. In other words, God did a work in you, cleansed you inwardly, which then means he looks at you. It's, at, it's Jesus again in Colossians 2, or 1. He presents us holy and unblameable to the Father because of what he did. You think of old covenant furniture in the temple, tables and censers and menorahs and all that kind of stuff, right? Furniture was holy. Why? Because it was cleansed the proper way. You're holy because you've been cleansed the proper way with the blood of Christ. Holiness is not a state that you reach through performance or behavior. Now, the reality is, do you believe that's who you are? Because you're going to live out of who you believe that you actually are. So you have to affirm to yourself that the finished work of Christ is what defines the kind of being that you now are, which is why you should stay out of sin because it hardens your heart and you lose sensitivity to that voice that's affirming to you that you're his child. And that voice will also, and, and it's an, an awareness, an impression. See, when you're in agreement with the truth at a heart level and God supplies whatever grace you need in that moment, the wisdom, you, it will just naturally be assimilated into your emotions and your thinking and then outwardly into your decisions. And before you know, you've made the decision to follow the Spirit of God because in your heart, you're in agreement with it. You're not going to fight against it. You're not going to contradict it. But if outwardly, you still see yourself as whatever this trauma did, you enjoy this particular sin, you whatever, you know, you're, 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 <laughs> you're allowing the world to define you through culture, behavior, skin color, politics, ethnicity, whatever, you know. I'm not saying that's not who we are, but if we live our lives when are out of our identity on that level, man, you're doomed for constant conflict. But if we live out of our identity in Christ, because it's who we are, you come out of your body right now, that's who you are. So we're putting on that new man, right? And, and it's that, that is lived out in your daily life moment by moment. See, unfortunately, a lot of us, what we're doing is we're kind of waiting for something to happen. This is why I don't like revivalism. I'm not against revivals. I'm not against renewal, outpouring, whatever, all that stuff we want to call it. But revivalism is a subculture within church that causes us to kind of always be standing on the verge of waiting, something's going to happen, and when that thing happens, then I can really be who I'm supposed to be in the kingdom. And 20 years go by, and you're like, wow, well, you know, all kind of weird things happen, right? Quit waiting. Say, quit waiting. I mean, honestly, quit waiting. If a revival breaks out and, you know, there's a hot spot and all these miracles happen and Jesus himself shows up to preach, praise God. I mean, that's going to happen one day. He's going to be walking around this earth in bodily form again. 
But until then, quit waiting for some event to happen that gives you your release to step into the renewal or the awakening. I believe in things happening, moves of God, all that stuff. But, but man, we, we anchor so much of what we're willing to do into events coming to pass, and we and the day by day just slips away. And the moment by moment is where you have to work through those things so that you make sure in your heart you're living out of your out of out of resting in the finished work of Christ. First and foremost, anytime you come up against anything, you recognize, oh, I got this sin habit. Okay, let me put on let me let me put on the new man. Let me remind myself of who I actually am. Not to become see, unfortunately, most of Christianity tells you that you're a sinner trying to be sanctified enough to be righteous and acceptable before God. You're a sinner. And if you clean up your behavior, then you'll be closer to God. Then you'll be acceptable to God. That is a lie from the darkest, deepest parts of hell. That is a doctrine of demons that keeps us carnal, drives a wedge between us and our Father. It spits in the face of Jesus. It tramples underfoot the blood of Christ. Are you kidding me? You've come into contact with the Spirit of the living God and the lifeblood of Christ, which salvation is now by grace through faith and you're still a sinner? I don't think so. And that's the whole battle, is to live within that. So it's an identity thing which affects performance, but it's also, and this is something that I've just really been thinking about more and more lately, is that, you know, as believers, as Jesus followers, as Christians, however you define it, um, we owe it to Christ to live a life that is honoring of the work that he did for us. Absolutely. We should live above reproach. We should say no to sin. We should seek to glory and honor, or glorify and honor God with our life, with our behavior, with our speech, with our choices, 100%. Because that's who we are. Personally, we should live lives of personal discipline, dealing with your stuff, everyone doing the work of the evangelist, all the stuff that we're hammered in typical Christianity to do because that's what keeps God happy. You should live a life pleasing to God. You should live a life pleasing to God. But here's the secret. He's pleased with you if you don't because you're in Christ. Now, does that make you want to keep running out and living a life that's dishonoring of the work that he's done? Not for me. Not for me. What it makes me want to do is actually dig in deeper. So there's nothing that tarnishes his, who he is in my life. And we should all strive for that. But there's another step. That is, you know, Christianity is not this endeavor to try to be accepted by God. It's that once you are his child, we have been elevated to representatives and ambassadors of a kingdom, of his kingdom, and to live in this earth walking around as if we actually can do something in this earth empowered by our homeland. That, that's where we need to be. Where we need to be is not 
dealing with all these cords that tie us down and and ah oh, we're so we're so self-focused we're so and I think that's why the enemy gets us so focused on our performance because you invalidate yourself and you never do anything for God when you do that but if you recognize you're not going to be perfect in your behavior but you already are in your spirit then you give a chance you're not you're not making room for sin. You're not creating a license for sin. You're not any of that kind of stuff. You're just recognizing, no, in spite of that, I'm going to still follow God. So, I mean, I just, I have this picture of a church that actually operates as Jesus said we could. Just that. What did he say? Works I do, you'll do and greater. You'll lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. You'll cast out demons. You'll do stuff that's not even going to hurt you or harm you. Supernatural lives. So so then that gets so then so this is the part where we're talking about our thought life, talking about thoughts that vex us and keep us afraid and locked in. Then we then we kind of jump over to this this is where we have a disconnect between representing God in this earth and the real life stuff. Because then it flips over into, well, I just walk around miracles and giving words to everybody and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, that. I don't know, there's a disconnect that happens in our mind about living that way. But how you think and the choices that you make on a daily basis directly affect how you're going to operate and live, represent him outwardly. You know, if you're going through the grocery store, you're going to the post office, you've got somebody coming to your door, you're maybe called to go into a particular region, and you're dealing with all this shame and guilt, and you're, you know, the, 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 the stuff, man, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking of how to say this, the schemes, the scheming that we do inwardly, trying to get over here, trying to win here, all the scheming that happens in our lives. And, I'm, and that may be negative and illegal for you, but for you it might just be you're just trying to figure out how to put all the pieces in this world together so that it works for you. Are you with me? Does that, does that you understand what I mean by scheming in our mind? We're just kind of always like trying to manipulate inwardly and just always this internal. And it's like, just forget it. Just forget. I'm not saying don't make good choices. I'm not saying don't plan for your retirement. I'm not saying don't have a, clear and articulate plan of how to raise your children, all that stuff. Go for the promotion at work. All that stuff, go for it. But where are we legitimately in terms of letting God work through us? And it's all going on at that heart level. And so we're trying to bring our thoughts captive to what Christ was obedient to so that we believe the truth at a heart level. And that's what drives our behavior naturally without having to think about it. If you're having to think about what the right thing to do is, you don't believe in your heart that you're the kind of person that's going to make the right decision in that moment. See, we seek knowledge and information at an intellectual level as if that's going to be our solution. But if you are convinced of your identity and the Word of God inwardly, you will make the wise and righteous choice because that's just who you are. So it's as if you need to spend time in that secret place affirming identity so when you're out there doing life, that's what comes out. But we don't do that. We wait until we're in the moment to try to figure out how to fly the jet airplane. And then we pray for a miracle. The plane crashes and God didn't show up for me. 
Well, uh, you know what? I just don't know why he don't show up for me. Well, I know why. Because you thought death every moment of your life, and then when you got in the moment and you needed life from the living God, you didn't know how to think in agreement with how he would lead you in that moment. And then we have lovely passages like this. I mean, I'm just going to take it to like the level of where Jesus talked. Imagine Jesus standing in front of us and he's trying to help us understand some things. You know, he's God. Yes, of course, he's God. He's Jesus. But he's a man teaching us how to do life. And the things that he says matter. And we want to come into agreement with it and actually live at that level. So he says here in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt, say doubt, does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Jesus, that sounds kind of new age to me. Jesus, I don't know about that. You're talking about that law of attraction, manifestation kind of stuff. That seems kind of weird to me. I don't know about that. Well, you know, that's what he said. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. What? How dare you? You see, Jesus, don't you know that everything's in God's timing, Jesus? Don't you know that sometimes God wants us to be sick and broke and poor and depressed? And then, Jesus, don't you know that you can't, God only gives you what you need? You know, all these weird little things that religion comes up with. And I'm not, you know, obviously, it kind of goes without saying, but I'll say it, according to the Word of God, right? I mean, that's, that's the definition. Those are the parameters. Those are the boundaries. Whatever you ask according to the will of God. But see, here's the thing. And I love this. The tenses matter. Believe that you have received it. You're complete in Christ. You lack nothing. You are healed. You are fully provided for. You don't struggle with that sin habit. You don't struggle with that destructive thought pattern. You don't struggle with promiscuity that you just wrecks your life. You don't struggle with confusion. And if you actually believe that, that would be your reality. Because in spirit, that's who you are. And so we have to, we have to realize in a real way, there's not a disconnect between who you are in spirit and how you can live in this life. But it's the moment of the have received it, and it will be yours. That's a paradox, right? So it does acknowledge growth. To me, we're not talking about manifestation. In other words, something that doesn't exist coming into existence. It's kind of like that apple seed will be an apple tree. So in other words, it's there. It's planted. The reality of it is already there. We're not talking about something that's not there popping and becoming into something that is there. We're talking about the seed is planted and it's growing and you want to let it grow. So I want to read through this, kind of a 
larger section in Mark 4, and I think we'll go through this next week in a little bit more detail. But in terms of the beliefs of the heart, so as you think in your heart, so are you. Jesus gives a parable in Mark 4, Matthew 13. It's a parable. It's the parable of the seed, parable of the sower. We all, we all know it, but I just want to walk through it and, and look at a few specific things. So I'm going to read where Jesus gives the parable. Then he meets with the 12 in private and he explains to them what he actually means by that. This is where we live. What we're about to read is how, as I think in my heart, so am I. And then also Romans 12, too, is a big part of what we're talking about. If you need to change, if you need to experience transformation, how does it happen? It happens as you renew your mind. But not just renewing your mind, but where are you believing in your heart? Because you can think truth, but if you don't believe it, there's that discrepancy. And then the excuses come in and, and you know, you find out if you actually believe it. If, see, if you believe the truth, nothing can dissuade you circumstances, pain in your body, somebody asking you a question that causes doubt. Because what we're talking about is doubt. Say doubt. Doubt not. I almost wanted to call this, this message no doubt. Not the walking into spider webs, no doubt, but the doubt out of your heart. No doubt. Just get that in your mind for just a moment. No doubt. What if there was zero doubt in your heart? I mean, what does Jesus say? All things are possible. I mean, I'm talking at the level of impossibility, not impossibility, but all possibility, right? I'm not trying to tell you how to get all your needs met, how to get a miracle. I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. I'm, I just want to take God's word at face value and, and actually try to believe it, right? D doubt not in your heart and whatever you pray will come to pass. Did everything Jesus prayed come to pass? Every time he prayed for somebody, did it happen the way he wanted it to? I mean, I can't think of a time that it didn't in terms of him personal personal ministry toward people. Let's just say that. That was kind of a landmine there. It's like, wait a minute, what are y'all talking about? <laughs> but you, are you with me, right? Well, okay, let's just say this. Jesus is standing here. Somebody comes up for prayer and asks him, Jesus, would you help me? And he prays for them. What would happen? No doubt. No doubt. We have zero doubt that if Jesus put his hands on somebody, what would happen? That's what I'm talking about. Like, let's just believe that at least. And then we represent him and he gave us the same power. You know, and, and, and all right, let's go through this. So, Mark 4, verse 3, New King James. Um, Hans, I'm going to have you follow me if you would, please, sir. Listen. Say, listen. This is Jesus. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some fell by the wayside, and the birds and the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony... Now, we're talking about the heart, talking about doubt in the heart. He's describing how the Word of God works in the heart is what he's talking about here. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and it immediately sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root in it, it withered away. And some seed, the seed is the word, fell among thorns. The thorns are in the heart and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. 
But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, produced some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That is a frustrating statement to me, but that's what he did. He would teach in parables and he'd say, I hope you get it. I hope your heart's resonating on the same frequency that I am so that you get what I'm actually trying to tell you here. But fortunately, he explains it. Uh, but when he was alone, those around with him, the 12 asked about the parable. And he said to them, uh, to you, say me, you're a disciple. It has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. You want to know how the kingdom works? Here it is. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. He's going to explain it. So that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they, sh lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Now, leave it on that one for just a moment. I think what he's talking about is the fact that the word and the kingdom, and you'll see as we read through the rest of this, the word and the kingdom is it almost becomes the word of the kingdom, and it almost becomes the same thing. So, in other words, you plant the truth in your heart or the word of God in your heart, it's as if, because the kingdom of heaven is within, you are engaging with kingdom by planting the word, and the kingdom is what's growing. The word is growing, the kingdom is growing, and the way that he teaches, it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing. He doesn't really make a distinction, and you'll see that as we read. So do not, so don't you understand? Okay, next one. Uh, the sower sows the word, and these are ones. So he's going to describe. Okay, so now the four different soils are not four different kinds of people; they're four different kinds of heart condition, because the soil is the heart, the seed is the word, which. The fruit of it is the kingdom, you could say. So these are the ones by wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately, takes away, leave it here, takes away the word sown in their heart. How does that happen? You hear the word. And then what happens? The enemy comes along. Now see, you will only hear the enemy in the areas that you are in agreement. Well, let me say it this way. You'll only be persuaded by the enemy in the areas that you're in agreement with what he comes at you with. Does that make sense? So if he comes at you and tries to present an opportunity for you to commit some crime or sin, and you're like, I would never do that. And it's, it's easy for you to say no to walking back there, opening the door, sticking your head in, and slamming the door against your head. If the enemy would come to you and tempt you, you'd say, that's dumb, why would I do that? But you might take the suggestion and bite the hook of something that's baited with that thing that you like. And it's not the enemy that makes it happen. They're spiritual. The demons are spiritual. There's some type of, you know, I think of it in terms of energy. I don't think of it in terms of like just some mystical being out there. There's, there's an energetic, we're spiritual. We perceive spirit, the spiritual realm and the enemy has a way, the prince of the power of the air, the enemy has a way to kind of emit frequency, let's say, that comes into resonance with the frequency of the belief that you have. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to tell you how it happens. I'm just trying to tell you how it makes sense to me in terms of 
I've got this radio frequency, you know, because you, you take a radio, right? You tune it to the right frequency. It'll perceive something out of thin air and emit sound. Our heart is a receiver to the spiritual dimension, right? And if you have the frequency of deception, sin, whatever, you'll pick up that and he reinforces and your belief is the stronghold. The enemy is not the stronghold. It's the belief that's the stronghold. You quit believing that thing. You quit living that way. You quit entertaining that frequency and that it has nothing to manifest through. You don't have that kind of receiver anymore to pick up that signal and manifest that radio station of sin and destruction. Are you with me? Like, like it just makes sense to me in that way. So how does the enemy steal it out of your heart? Manipulates and emphasizes the lies that you believe already, that the errors and deceptions that you already will entertain, which is why we have to renew our minds and be rooted in the truth so that just like Jesus, when the enemy comes, he's got nothing in me. I don't believe that. So I'm not, so therefore that is not going to get plucked out of my heart because I'm not questioning and wondering about that. Doubt not in your heart. And whatever you have, whatever you say will come to pass. We're talking about getting doubt out of your heart. We're talking about how doubt works. Talk about how the word of God works in your heart and your responsibility to host the word for transformation, for you experience the kingdom of God in your life and you walk in the, the, the ambassadorship to declare and establish or participate with the growth and the increase of God's kingdom. We're so busy disqualifying ourselves that we don't even step into the things that we could be. Uh, you know, we get weird and mystical. Let me keep going here. So, all right. So the enemy comes and, and reinforces things that you already doubt and believe in your heart. Verse 16. These likewise, here's the next one. These likewise are sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness. Now, Go back to that one. All of us have all four conditions on the inside of the same heart. We're not talking about four different hearts. We're not talking about four different people. We're talking about your heart and the condition of it and the receptivity of it to the Word of God. Sometimes you hear the Word, you're deceived in your mind and in your thinking, that word will not bear fruit in, in you. You hear, you're healed in Jesus' name, but that's not your reality. And it just, it gets, and you might even get offended at that word, right? Uh, this one here, there's no depth. There's no intimacy with the Lord. There's no willingness to actually change in this moment to let this thing bear fruit. There's no repentance. There's no willingness of mind renewal. It's just a stony ground. You hear it, you go, oh man, that sounds like a great idea. And then something happens and, and this, is the, uh, this is the fruit of the, 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 the word sown when they hear the word immediately, receive it with gladness. 17. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time afterward when tribulation, now tribulation meaning Somebody else, let's say you're a new Christian or you learn a new truth and you're excited about it and you start telling other people about it and somebody that's really well-versed in doubt says, well, what about this? 
And you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. <laughs> Choke the word. Or persecution arises. This was a big problem in the early church. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm praying for what's going on over there in Gaza, Israel and Palestine. I'm thinking about, I'm, what I'm thinking about is the Christian Palestinians. Because right now in this moment, Israel is either doing it or very close to going into Palestine to find Hamas. And there's about 25,000 Hamas members. And so, I mean, the plan is Israel to go and find them all and kill them all or imprison them or do something. There's going to be innocent people in the process that are going, that are going to lose their lives. We've already seen the dis the horrific abuses of men and women and children in that region, right? It's just disgusting. But then you look at these people live here. They're, they're bound in Palestine because Hamas, this fanatic uh, wing of Islam, which is a demonic religion anyway, let me just say, uh, but they're, they're trapped within Palestine by Hamas who won't let them out so Israel's going in to go to try to find the insurgents to find Hamas and Hezbollah and apparently Iran. I don't know. It's a big thing. So, but but the Christians in Palestine, what an opportunity if you think about it. Those that, you know, are willing to lay their lives down to stand up and maybe preach the gospel in a moment like this or to be used by God to protect a Christian family or whatever, you know, I mean, I... I I'm not trying to pick winners and losers or who says the good guy or the bad guy. I mean, there's obvious atrocities going on over there. It's horrific what's being done, but I'm just thinking about persecution is legitimate. Most of us will never be persecuted. Somebody might say something bad about you on Facebook. That's about it. You probably might never face the situation where you have a gun to your face to reject Jesus or not, but that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. And in that moment, if you were to face that situation, is the Word of God mature enough within you where you take the bullet? That's, that's, that's what he's talking about. Persecution arises for the Word's sake immediately, and they stumble. I'll also say, if you would go back, even for healing, it can happen. How many of you, honestly, how many of you have ever been ridiculed or something negative said or response because you believe in healing? Honestly, raise your hand. Somebody's, yeah. That is a sense of persecution for the word's sake. You stand and believe in healing because Jesus said it's our birthright. Somebody speaks against that. That is persecution for the word's sake. And, and you're going to face that. And then you've got a choice to believe that or not. Doctors, well, let me just keep going. So 18. Now these are the ones among thorns, uh, are the ones who hear the word of God, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires of other things enter in, choke the word of God, and it becomes unfruitful. Hold on, 19. I think most of us live right there. Uh, you're seasoned enough now. You believe the word of God. The Bible's true. Maybe you're not experiencing some things. You got questions, doubts, whatever, but it's true, right? No doubt. There. But the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, the lust of other things... That, let me just tell you, these aren't behaviors, these are heart beliefs that are constricting and causing the Word of God to be unfruitful. The 
Inheriting the kingdom in this life has everything to do with your heart being receptive to the Word of God. Your responsibility is to do whatever it takes to take the Word of God, hold it in your heart until it's more true than any other option. And it will bear fruit. Do you believe that? It's the nature of the kingdom in the receptive heart to grow. But the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, the lust of other things, choke it out. The reason you or anyone you love or anyone is not experiencing the full fruition of the promised word of God and what Jesus paid for is because it's getting choked out and not allowed to grow into full fruition. Or you're saying I can limit God? Yeah, 100%. The Israelites did it. That's why they couldn't enter into the promised land. They limited the Holy One of Israel. Go look it up. Not because God can be limited by force, but because He gave this planet to mankind and He put Himself in a situation where we collaborate in this earth and it's up to us to believe through that stuff. So He's not limited because it's a power issue on His end. It's limited because He gave us this planet. But... There's good news. Let's keep going. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Say, I'm good ground. Those who hear the word of God, accept it, bear fruit. And sometimes it's 30, sometimes it's 60, sometimes it's 100 fold. I mean, you know, it's just how it is sometimes. Also, he said to them, is a lamp. So what he's about to say is, all right, here's the revelation. Now, ponder it. Think about it. Don't just let it be a sermon. It's, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know about that. What are we having for lunch? <laughs> he makes the point that when you see, how many of you saw something as we were reading Mark 4 that made sense? There's a bit of a revelation. Raise your hand if you got something out of that that was like, okay, this is personal for me. Don't let it go. That's what he's talking about. Don't let that go. Hold that. Meditate on it. Let it grow. Let its roots go down, right? So is a lamp to be put on a basket or under a bed? Is it not, set, is, is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret by that it should come to light. He's like, I'm bringing these things to light. This is just the way it works. I'm going to teach you. It's going to come to light, but you've got to take it and receive it. He's, he's basically instructing them, don't just receive this into a shallow heart, and then it just gets taken away. That's kind of what he's, he's making the point that he just taught about. You see that? Uh, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. The degree of thought, meditation, prayer, honest engagement with the Word of God, not, not, I mean, not the, not the performance side of it, but, you know, it's kind of like a, it's, it's, it's like a relationship with the person. To the degree that you nurture it, it will bear fruit. It's the same thing with the Word of God. You know, the Word of God, it, it's, it's like, it's like your heart is the womb that receives into it the seed and a conception happens, and we want that baby to come to full fruition, Right? We don't want to abort the seed of God in our hearts. Take heed what you hear. Think about it. Honestly, think, think about it 
as if your goal is to believe the truth and then expect that whatever God says is possible is what can come to pass in your life. So that nothing out here can take it away. The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, lust of other, all that stuff, robbing you from the kingdom of God fully growing into your heart and affecting your life. Take heed what you hear, the same measure will be used. Uh, take heed what you hear with the same measure you used. It will be measured to you. And it's not God doing this. We're talking about sowing and reaping. And to you who hear, more will be given. Next verse. For whoever has to him, more will be given. This is the effect. This is not God doing it. This is the result of it. Are you with me? Because we read this and it's as if God's manipulating and Calvinists love to use this as if God's controlling and manipulating everything. But this is the effect of hosting the word of God in your heart. Whoever has to him more will be given, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Hold right there. Man, it's a whole sermon, but uh, do you know anybody where everything just kind of seems to always go wrong? You just can't quite get ahead. Man, I'm just telling you, you look at them, and you're like, you are the most unlucky person on the face of the planet. Most likely, I'm just telling you the truth, most likely this is someone who has not taken the time to let the Word of God do a work within them. Because that's not the fruit of the kingdom. Now, I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect. I'm not saying you're never going to go through anything negative. I'm just saying for you and your personal life and how you come through those kinds of things, regardless of what happens, I want the Word of God to bear fruit. Not my astute observation of the destruction of the thing that I can articulate and explain why my life is so bad. Because all this, don't you see all this? Well, if that's the evidence that you're using to build the foundation of your life, then no wonder your life looks like that. Let the Word of God do a work. And it will. And it gets better. I'm just telling you, it gets better. Keep going. And he said, now the kingdom. So, so he said all that. He's given some warnings. Take it seriously. Let it come to full fruition. And now he almost paints a little bit. And it's kind of like he's saying, okay, if you can get that, then I got something better for you. This is how the kingdom. It's almost like he's saying that I'm really talking about the kingdom. I'm really talking about you experiencing life, uh, the, the, the life of a person in my kingdom. You know, Jesus prayed on your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're talking about that kind of level. And he says... Here's how it works. The kingdom, he, so now he equates the kingdom to the seed. Are you with me? Not the kingdom is the seed, but the kingdom is experiencing the produce of the seed. You see that? All right, so the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Remember, he started off, he said, this is the mystery of the kingdom. He gave that parable. Now he's going back to the kingdom. Go back one more, if you would, please. I want to read it all together. 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He should sleep by night, rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. It's okay if you don't know how it works. For the earth yields crop by itself. We're talking about the heart. First the blade, then the head, after the, after the full grain in the head. But 
When the grain ripens, immediately he puts the sickle in because the harvest has come. See, you don't have to make the kingdom grow. You don't have to get it right. You just have to quit choking the word and let it come to full fruition. How do you choke the word? You reason it away. You doubt. That, that shallowness of depth within us, you hear the word, you see it right there in Scripture. And you're like, yeah, but, mm, yeah, but, mm, I don't know. I see that it says this, but this pain here, and this is always happening to me, and you can't tell me. I mean, are you telling me that's not real? Well, I, this always, this is seven generations this has happened in my family. There's no way out. There's no other choice but to live this way. I'm locked into this right now because this is it. Okay, okay, I hear you. I'm not denying that is a reality. But the kingdom of God is in you to grow and change you. And the fruit of the kingdom is downright miraculous. The fruit of the kingdom makes a way where there is no way. The fruit of the kingdom always trends toward life. The fruit of the kingdom is always hopeful, always expectant, regardless of circumstance. Which one is going to last, this temporary death prison or the kingdom of God in which is abundance and fruitfulness and the, no end to the riches of his grace? We, we live immersed in that kingdom now. And we're spiritual people. And it's hard to get in our minds in alignment with living life that experiences spiritual fruit of this kingdom that we can't see, birthed by a God and promised by a God that we can't see. But in your heart, you come into agreement with it and watch it work. You know what I'm talking about. It's just those things that deep down on the inside that you're convinced of, you know, it's kind of common sense, really. The stuff that you believe and expect to happen, guess what happens? Think about it. You get what you expect most of the time. Because as you think in your heart, so are you. But you can change how you think, what you think about. And might I suggest you include, you include the Word of God into that so that it begins to inform your thoughts because your thoughts emerge from your beliefs. The next thing you know, you walk around actually expecting the Spirit of the living God to be active in your life, even when you're confused, even when it hurts, even when you're afraid, even when you're worried. You know that your God is with you, and you know that the kingdom is growing, and you know that if you see things according to that kingdom, you're going to see where to go. You're going to see the way that seems to be shut at the moment. But you have to take the Word of God and put it in there and choose to believe it. And as you're planting it, then it produces after its own kind. That's, that's the mystery of the kingdom. Your heart hosts the kingdom. You got to get into agreement with it, then it just does what it does. You don't make it happen, but you can slow it down. Does that make sense? So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the Word of God? What are you going to do with the Word of God in the areas where you see that it's the truth, but you're not experiencing it? What are you going to do? You're going to get offended at the Word and just choose to live at the level you're at? And I'm not, I'm not saying 
You make it happen. You can't make it happen because the seed produces after its own kind. You just stay soft, you stay pliable, you stay open, you stay at peace, and you rest. You rest in the finished work, and you trust. I mean, I'm just telling you, if you, if you start to believe that the kingdom is in you, and it's growing, and it's seeking to have an effect in your life, you will fight to not let it be choked out in your thinking. And then the promise is, it'll come to pass. You got a choice. Are you going to believe that or not? And you can't let some preacher make empty promises of how you get there. It's you, your God, the Word of God, the kingdom of God growing in you, all on you. How receptive are you to it? Amen? Let's stand up if you would. Thank you, Father. Man, I just, I, I, we, we want to trust you and live with you out of a place of rest and peace because it's easy and light. You said Jesus walking with you was easy and light, but sometimes it doesn't feel easy and light. And, and the battle is belief, and we want to win that battle and be persuaded fully of your word. So in this moment right now, Father, I just ask you to influence our minds and our hearts as all of us are standing here, all eyes on you, Lord. Jesus, you're the king of glory. Jesus, we worship you in this place. You're my God and my king. You, de you desire the best for me. You stepped into my darkness and destroyed sin for me so that I can be a member of your kingdom. And you showed us what living in your kingdom on this earth looked like, Jesus. And it's going around doing good, healing all oppressed of the enemy, experiencing provision from the Father, spreading the gospel of the kingdom. That's what we want in our lives. So, Father, I just thank you. And I ask you to show us inwardly one step we can take to nurture the word of God in our hearts, to get doubt out of our hearts. Because I don't want to choke the word. I don't want to constrict kingdom fruit because I'm worried about something or I'm doubting you. I want all that out. and Show me one step. One step I can take. Listen, you hear God better than you think that you do. If you got a picture or a scripture, or just an idea, just, just a simple idea, Don't, and, and it's godly, just try it, put it into practice. So if you're in this room today and you've never said yes to Jesus, and you want to believe on him and receive what he did for you for the first time, if you're in this room, you've never said yes, just lift up your hand so I can see it. <clears throat> and there may be some people online. Um, we have a video that'll come up that'll walk you through, reach out to us. Father, I thank you that as we go, we, we are personally committed to letting your word do a work in us so that we are not just self-focused, but we represent you because there's work for us to do as the body of Christ in this earth until the end, until the resurrection. There's work for us to do because your kingdom is increasing and we want people to know and experience it. So, Father, thank you for that boldness, that wisdom, that confidence, that healing in our bodies that needs to take place, that healing in our emotions. I thank you that that's growing and happening even in this moment so that we have no excuses. We show the world who you are. Amen. You amen that? Amen. <laughs>